Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge, and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour podcast, and your host today is Carla Refold. We are joined by Dominic Vogel. Dominic has an established track record as a business security leader, serving in critical roles on numerous projects, including security strategy development and endpoint security management. Dominic is a skilled communicator, having been the keynote speaker for a number of major conferences and events. As chief strategist at Cyber SC, Vogel focuses much of his energy on helping startups and small mid-sized businesses with their cybersecurity challenges. His company also specializes in performing on-demand cybersecurity services for understaffed and overburdened larger enterprises. Hope you enjoy. Well, Dominic, thanks for coming on the podcast with us. So I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. So where did you grow up? Uh, well, I've actually grown up, born and bred in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So the west coast of, of Canada, um, you know, it's it's an area which I've, I've loved my whole life and I've been here all of my 34 years of existence. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how were you educated? Did you go to university or college? Yeah, so my my my, uh, so my um, schooling background uh, uh, goes back to um, I, I actually have a background in, in, in computing science. So I have, I have a degree from uh, university uh, here, Simon Fraser University, in computing science. And uh, um, not to date myself, but that that, that does go back uh, uh, quite a few years. <laughs> but uh, uh, one of the things which it was funny that going through that, that was very much geared towards programming, being a developer, software development. It was, it was very heavy on that. Uh, and I jokingly tell people now that the word cybersecurity during my entire four-year degree was mentioned once. And I was the one who mentioned it as a question to one of my professors. <laughs> wow, okay. Well, we hear a lot about that even now, that, you know, is computer science uh, setting people up for a career in security? What do you think? Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's um, it's it's. I think it's it, it can be a path, and I think what's more so important now is that we hit a reset button and understand that you don't necessarily need to have a technical background or have a comp sci degree to be in the security field. Um, you know, it is it is a path. Uh, some of the greatest security minds I've ever met, people who, who I uh, I go to for advice. Um, they don't even have a, a technical background. Many of them have come from a sales background or from a uh, uh, actually one of the smartest people I know. He has a psychology background. <laughs> it, uh, and so it, to me, I don't think it's a necessity, uh, but it, at least for me, it, it did provide me with a great mindset to be able to interact better with developers and IT people, at least with the, with the path I took. So when was the first time you heard about cybersecurity? The... <laughs> I hope this says I don't make myself sound like too much of a nerd, but in grade uh, <laughs> in grade eleven, um, uh, I was trying to figure out, uh, and it's towards the end of high school. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew I wanted to do something with computers because my my dad was a, a, a long time 
high school teacher. He, he taught computers to, uh, computer science in high school. Um, so technology really interested me and he would always get all these free magazines from Microsoft and all sorts of different uh, vendors because he was in charge of uh, the, the computer program there at, at his high school. And he would, I remember he brought home a huge stack of magazines for me and he said, you know, Dom, flip through these, hopefully there's something in here that interests you. And I, I remember over a period of several months going through this huge stack and it was just, it was, it was almost as tall as me. I remember there was just, it was, it was incredible. He kept all these magazines. He just never did anything with them. And I got to one and it was called InfoSec, Information Security Magazine. And I thought, that's interesting. What the heck is information security? And I flipped it open and I read it cover to cover. And I told my dad, I said, can you get more of these, please? And he said, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he uh, through his school, he got that subscription and, and I ended up reading them over several months. They came, they came monthly at the time. And I told my dad, I said, I think this is what I want to do. So I, I researched it a bit. And um, at the time, you know, there was just, there were no programs who taught cybersecurity. So I just thought, oh, I'll go down the computer science um, degree uh, uh, route and uh, see what happens. But it was from that magazine and my dad's large computer magazine pile where I, I first came across InfoSec. And for whatever reason, it, it, it clicked in my mind. I think you might be one of the first people I've spoken to that said they, you know, set out to have this as a career. I, it's I'm I'm very I'm very humbled and very I feel very blessed uh, that I've been able to have said that. Uh, through my career, the only job I've actually ever had is has been in the cybersecurity field. Uh, I've grown up in this field. I didn't come from another field, um, but that also makes me appreciate all the other uh, diverse viewpoints from people who have come from all sorts of different uh, backgrounds and experiences. Um, because I, I realize how much I haven't experienced and things I haven't seen just because I've been uh, sort of in the uh, security scene <laughs> uh, all along. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat of an oddity because most people that I know in the security field haven't been in it their entire career. No. So how did you get that first job in security? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a fun story. So the, uh, um, that, this was sort of at the, uh, when I was entering the, the uh, workforce, this was just as the uh, sort of the, the beginnings of the Great Recession. Uh, so this is 2007, uh, uh, late 2006. And uh, after I graduated, I was trying to get into, I knew I wanted to do cybersecurity. That was, um, that was sort of no, there was no further questions. I knew in my mind that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I studied for the Security Plus certification and I was ready to to, to, to start off in that field. And when I started applying, unfortunately, entry-level roles during that time were hard to come by. There was nothing. Uh, uh, I, I sat just trying to find work, trying to uh, uh, apply to uh, positions. Uh, I knew I wanted to do cybersecurity. I, didn't, I was a stubborn mule. You know, I didn't want to go through another path. Uh, my, my mom kept saying, oh, why don't you, be, you know, go back to school, you know, become a teacher or, or do, do this, take that job. And uh, uh, I, I was stubborn. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a stubborn mule, if nothing else. And um, uh, one day, uh, there was a company that I, uh, I saw needed a security, a junior security analyst. I applied to it. They brought me in, and I just poured my heart and soul out uh, to the manager, saying, "I want to do this. I don't care how little you pay me. This is something that I want to do." And he said, "You know what? It's funny that you say that. I really can't afford to pay you much. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pay you literally dimes to the dollar." But I love your passion. He said, I've interviewed other people who were way more experienced than you, um, 
but it's something there's something about you, something about your passion which really speaks to me and um i'll never forget that and that's why all these years uh later um and i've been very humbled the past few years to be able to mentor students and mentor people who want to get into the field because at the time i remember that i reached out to a bunch of people and no one was willing to help me start uh, uh in the field and if i wasn't so stubborn I could easily have ended up doing something else in my life. Um, so I remember, I will always remember how that manager took a chance on me and why it's so important for me. That I truly believe in the power of mentorship and being able to help people who show the slightest interest in cybersecurity. I want to do everything I can to get them into the field. And, you know, I think I hear that a lot, that actually people come out of education now, but they struggle to get that first role. And I've been wondering, um, you know, do you think security is an entry-level career? Uh, I, I do believe it is an entry-level career. You know, uh, uh, I know there's various schools of thought <laughs> uh, uh, on that. Some people say, you know, you need to have uh, you know, a lot of hardcore technical knowledge or you, know, you need to have other experience. Uh, I'm a firm believer in, in that uh, there's some basic qualities. You need someone who's incredibly passionate. You need someone who's very adaptable, who's a quick learner. And you need someone who's able to, to, to enjoy sort of an analytical approach and being able to break, break things down uh, and try and fi figure out sort of root causes or, 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 or sort of root solutions. And uh, those to me are more qualities in people rather than than schooling. Uh, and so I'm a firm believer that the current process of hiring uh, in the InfoSec field and the cybersecurity uh, cyber field is grossly broken. If you look at any, um, uh, not just entry-level job descriptions, but just most general job descriptions in the cybersecurity field, uh, I like to, I always joke that, you, that people are looking for a unicorn. And you have to have access to all, or you have to be able to, have knowledge in all sorts of different technologies that you need to be able to have 10 plus years experience, but you're, you can only, you know, uh, take a beginner salary kind of thing. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the HR machine behind this and especially the need for certifications or for degrees I find is fundamentally broken. And that's why I, uh, I always laugh when I hear that, you know, we, we hear people in the industry saying there's a talent shortage. There's not enough talented people to, um, to, to, to fill all these roles. I'd say, you know, that's BS. There is so many people, not just students who are trying to come into the field, but even uh, people who have had other careers in other fields who are trying to get in, and they can't because we put in these artificial barriers. To me, the talent shortage is man-made. We need to remove a lot of these artificial barriers. We need to redefine what it means to be a security professional and what these entry-level uh, positions look like uh, because the, the talent is there. The people are there. We are choosing to prevent them from coming into the field. Yeah, you know, I, I would have to agree with that. And why why do you think that is? Why do you think companies have got that so wrong? Uh, the, <laughs> there, there's there's a couple reasons I, I would say. Uh, one is that there are still a lot of old school uh, security people out there uh, who think that you need to come up through the IT ranks, that you need to have a very strong technical background. Um, you know uh, that, uh, and it, it's sad in this day and age. But there's some some people who just still prefer to uh, uh, hire uh, men over women. Um, you know who, who who think that you know it's an extension of IT, and that's a that's a, a male domain. Uh, that's still very prevalent. There's a lot of you know status quo, old school thought, which is still very prevalent throughout the industry. And I'd say that that's a still a global wide problem. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, um, 
to me is is we're still struggling to uh, engage from a diversity point of view and by bringing in different people uh, from different uh, thought diversity, background diversity, gender uh, diversity. Uh, yes, you know, the, the industry looks very different than even when I first joined. I remember when I went to one of my first security um, association meetings, it was like a local uh, uh, meeting. It was all middle-aged white guys, you know, and uh, uh, <laughs> as I become a middle-aged white guy, I, I realize, you know, I, I need to do more to, again, encourage and embrace diversity, you know. So uh, that, I think as a field, we need to do more of that. But again, to, to answer your question about why is, you know, sort of the, the, the process still broken, one part, I think, again, is, is from the old school mentality. But the other part is that the HR machine uh, that often goes behind uh, sort of the hiring process is fundamentally broken you know the you know needing to make sure that you have these job descriptions and so many of these job descriptions are just complete and utter garbage you know uh, uh and just trying to get past some of those online hr uh um, machines to, to to you know when you apply to a job generally it goes through some sort of automated system jokingly uh, one of my friends was a recruiter i applied with my resume to a job which i know i'm uh, more than uh, capable more than uh uh, uh, educating and experienced enough to do, but I didn't tailor my resume. I didn't, you know, try and look for keywords or anything like that. I didn't even get past that roadblock. I was stuck in the uh, in the HR uh, uh, quagmire. So, you know, part of the problem is that so many people in the HR side are still stuck up on, uh, you know, we need, you know, someone has to have a degree, a four-year degree. Someone needs to have these certifications, and uh, it's still very is still very rigid and I think we need to uh, allow for greater flexibility and greater fluidity in order to truly get the best and brightest into the field. No, I, I would agree. And you, you touched on it there around the industry is, is changing a little bit, but how do you feel the industry has changed since you started? Uh, it, 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 it's definitely gotten better, you know, from, from a, a, a diversity perspective, you know, uh, when, I, when I first got into the field, Pretty much every security professional I, I worked with had come up through the IT ranks. They were all IT people. Um, and if you're just IT people, you're going to tend to be <laughs> thinking like other IT people. And that's been, uh, I'd I like to tell people, when I first got into the industry, so many of the problems that we struggle to deal with now uh, are still, uh, are, were, were, were very much problems you know, uh, 15 years ago. Uh, and part of the reason why those problems haven't been solved is that there's been a, a generally a fundamental lack of thought diversity and experience diversity to try and tackle those problems. Uh, you need to have people from different uh, walks of life. Uh, and, and to me, I always like to tell people that cybersecurity should be treating, treated uh, like a living organism. For any organism to not just survive and thrive, it needs to have diversity. So, you know, it's, things have definitely improved. Uh, but we still have a long, long, long way to go from a uh, diversity, inclusion, uh, inclusion uh, and retention um, uh, uh, manner for, especially for, for females in industry. You know, I still hear it from uh, a, a lot of um, uh, female colleagues of the, the, the troubles that they've had to deal with to get to where they are in their career. And for many, for many, uh, end up leaving the, uh, the security field because it's just too much of an uphill battle, you know, and uh, uh, so as far as we've come, uh, there's still a, a heck of a lot of room for growth to, to still happen around the uh, diversity. Yeah, we're, we're hearing that a lot, you know, people, women leaving the industry, but also at the, the senior level, lots of CISOs uh, maybe appear to be leaving the industry. Do you see that as well? Do you think that's the case? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. You know, I, uh, I, I worked, uh, you know, 10, 10 years to get to a point where uh, I was in charge of a cybersecurity team. And, uh, you know, they were too cheap to give me the CISO title, but I was the, like I, said, I was the de facto CISO, but I, I, I was, I was burned out. I was miserable. Uh, I was just, uh, completely unhappy in that role. And, you know, I, I hear that so often from so many other security directors and CISOs that once, you know, being at that pinnacle there, uh, it's an awful, more often than not, it's an awful position to be in. You know, it, it's, it, there's, there's no, there's a, there's a reason why burnout is so high in our industry. And, so over the past few years, as we've seen a growth in this VCSO space, uh, that was one of the reasons why I left. I saw an opportunity to leave and, you know, take take the the world on my own terms uh, and still do what I love, just cybersecurity, but do so on my own terms. And uh, I see right now, I see a leadership drain in which some of the best leaders are leaving to start their own VCSO practices, and you know, more power to them. <laughs> uh, that that that's great. But what we're very much seeing is this leadership vacuum uh, at the CISO level. You know, there's still a, a amazing CISOs throughout the uh, throughout the world. Uh, but um, I would say over the past, especially the past three years, I've seen a lot of talented people leave the industry and people who still have a lot of good years left in them as as CISOs, but have have chosen to go into sort of private practice. You know, it's really interesting. We did some research this year in my organization and we found of the um, of the CISOs that had changed jobs last year, only 20% actually went into another CISO role. The rest were um, going into advisory or virtual yes. CISO positions. So yeah. seeing the same thing. So how did you decide the time was right for you to, to go out on your own? The, <laughs> well, there was, uh, I, there was a lot of factors, you know, the, the, the old adage, you know, it takes a uh, a lot of straws to to, to break the uh, the camel's back, and there there was a final straw. And uh, uh, for me, it was a, a swirl of things. One was that um, I just didn't, uh, and I know this is true for a lot of CISOs that uh, they are often, they, while they're given, uh, you know, there's a lot of responsibility on their shoulders. Uh, the authority just isn't there. Uh, they're undermined in a lot of different ways by other leadership uh, people in, in, in the C-suite. And um, that was a constant source of frustration for me in which if I'm being respon held responsible for something, I need to have the authority to, 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 to carry things out. Um, and it became more and more apparent that, you know, uh, I was just there as a scapegoat. You know, um, you know companies that, uh, and I know this is true for a lot of CISOs, where they feel powerless and they feel helpless, even though, you know, sort of the rest of the, the weight of the world, so to speak, lays on their shoulders. So uh, um, that for me was uh, a problem. Another problem was that um, I just, I hated going to work, you know, uh, for someone who had become like, so passionate uh, um, over the first 10 years of my career, I, I lived and breathed cybersecurity. I was just fascinated by with it, by it. I loved it. I did so much reading, studying uh, outside of work. Um, you know, it, it, it was just a, it was an incredible passion for me. And one day I remember distinctly going into my office and saying to myself, I hate what I do. And I thought, this isn't good. You know, I, I'm not, I'm someone who's always been tied to a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning. And I thought I need to leave, you know, I love what I do, but I don't love the environment that I'm doing it. And, uh, um, one of my friends for, who was a recruiter had told me for years, you know, you're getting 
you're getting screwed over at corporate. You know, they're taking advantage <laughs> of you. Um, cybersecurity is becoming more and more of a thing. There's a ton of contract opportunity. Uh, so I one day I just I quit. Uh, I call my friend. I said, "Get me if you're so the hotshot recruiter you plan to be. Get me a a, a contract." Within the day, he got me one, uh, and it it, um, it was fantastic. You know, I, I used that contract in which I was able to work from home remotely. I was able to sort of over that first year build out what I had always envisioned as being. You know, if I if I was a consultant or an advisor, how would I help people? I had sort of over the years been taking notes of. Anytime I engage with a consultant, what I liked about them or what I didn't like, um, and same thing about leaders. If I was a leader, what would I do? What wouldn't I do? Uh, so I put a lot of that to, to motion. And over the past four years, you know, being able to just work with just people that I want to work with, choose choosing clients that I feel are awesome, that I get to um, you know invest myself in their business and uh, in their um, organization and stuff that makes them passionate. That makes me passionate, and uh, uh, it's being a, um, it's a being at that point where I can be, I can help people and help these amazing organizations on their journey, and do my part by by being a trusted advisor when it comes to cyber security and cyber risk. Um, is very much re-energized uh, my passion for the field and remind me why I do what I do. So tell us a little bit about the sort of work that you do now. Yeah, absolutely. So the the marketing term is VC, so <laughs> uh, you know, virtual chief information security officer. Um, uh, I dropped that that acronym quite early on. Reason being was you know the the the, the businesses that we, uh, we were reaching out to, so small and mid sized organizations, and by that I mean companies as small as maybe a dozen people, all the way up to you know, maybe around a thousand uh, employees or staff. Uh, I we would lead up by saying, you know, we're VCSOs. And uh, more often than not, I heard from prospects, what the heck's a VCSO? I would say, well, we're a virtual chief information security officer. Oh, great. What's a chief information security officer? So uh, uh, often if you're not in the technical or IT rank, sometimes that, especially with small and mid-sized businesses, that term doesn't resonate. So we focus and sort of rebranded around the whole notion of cyber risk leadership. And what we like to say to, to, to prospects is that when it comes to cyber risk, uh, what do you do? Do you understand that? And many of them would would say, well, we know we're responsible for cybersecurity, but we just trust our IT guy or our IT service provider to take care of that. So you know, I like to say that we fill that leadership void that exists with most small and mid-sized organizations. Uh, and we work with CEOs, CFOs, you know, VP of uh, finance, um, uh, general manager, someone in charge of operations, the business owner, to, uh, I like to say that we're the conduit. We help them understand what risk, data risk they're taking on and to help them better communicate with the technical side, whether that be their own internal IT team uh, or, or an IT service uh, uh, provider. And uh, you know, we very much focus on making sure from again, an overview and a guidance perspective that everything, you know, the, I like to say the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and that they understand what risk it is as a, themselves and as an organization uh, they're taking on rather than just blindly accepting what IT tells them. So if you, if you are a small business, how is this adding value to you? That is a fantastic question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'll definitely say this. What, what I've seen over sort of this five-year journey of uh, uh, doing the cyber risk leadership or, or VCSO uh, work is 
the, the first two years were really difficult. You know, most small mid-sized organizations, again, didn't really see the value in it, uh, at least here in, in Canada and, and, and the U.S. where we have clients as well. Um, it, it was very, very hard. Unless the, these, these companies were in really regulated spaces, it was still a real hard uh, road to go down. Now, um, within the, uh, the past probably 18 months, we saw an, an explosion in a good way in terms of enlightenment uh, for these small and mid-sized organizations. And there were two main reasons why companies, why organizations were reaching out to us uh, to engage us. Uh, so the first bucket uh, was what I would say is overly reactive after a significant security incident. So we have companies reaching out to us after a devastating ransomware attack or after a major data breach or privacy breach. And they would say, you know what, we went through this. We barely survived. What do we have to do to make sure this doesn't happen again or at least again, lower the risk, you know, likelihood impact of this happening again? Uh, so that became a significant um, bucket for us and why organizations reached out to us. The other area, which is uh, to me is the most interesting one because it's not necessarily technical, um, uh, has been in, in terms of what I'll refer to as broader supply chain risk management and increasing vendor risk management, um, uh, what we're seeing with larger organizations. So just to dive into that piece a bit further, many of our clients are B2B, so business to business organizations, and many of them sell their services or platforms or uh, capabilities to larger organizations, to enterprise organizations. And what we've seen, especially over the past year or so, is that the larger organizations are really clamping down even more so on vendor risk management uh, and not just on basic questionnaires. Now they're actually asking for proof. <laughs> Give us a, a recent third-party assessment or give us proof that you have a, a viable cybersecurity program in, in place. And the example I'll share is that uh, we, we've had, uh, we had a, a prospect reach out to us saying that we're going to lose our biggest customer, which is 60% of our revenue, uh, because we're not able to uh, demonstrate that we have a cybersecurity program in place. Uh, for years, they've just sent us a high-level questionnaire, which we've lied on <laughs> for years, <laughs> said yes, 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 but now they're asking for proof. Uh, please help us. Uh, so now cybersecurity has become, is finally being interwoven uh, with clear business outcomes. It truly affects the bottom line and it truly becomes a differentiator because if you can't, especially for these small and mid-sized organizations, and it's becoming increasingly more so, if you can't actively demonstrate that you have a cybersecurity program in place, you will lose existing contracts and you will be at a disadvantage for landing, landing new contracts or new clients if your competitors are further along the road when it comes to cybersecurity. So it's been very interesting the past 18 months seeing those two trends emerge. That's really interesting. And obviously, there's a lot in the news as well about breaches. Do you feel that companies are taking that on board? Or do you get a sense that, you know, there's a bit of fatigue with that reporting? Yeah, there's, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be honest, after every big data breach story, we tend to see a sort of a very short term uptick in people and organizations reaching out, just because okay. they've, they've, the, the mass media is doing their their part to a degree by talking about data breaches, um, but that tends to not have very sustaining uh, power. Um, you know, I, I'll definitely say that there is some data data breach fatigue uh, in which um, it's becoming somewhat white noise. 
uh, and we, we hear that from some prospects as well, saying, well, if we get breached, we'll just blend in with all the other data breaches that are happening. You know, there, there's still, um, there's still uh, I'd say, a misperception amongst a, a still a sizable faction of small and mid-sized organizations that aren't taking cybersecurity seriously. Um, you know, so I, I still, I, I'm at this point where I question sort of the usefulness of data breaches being reported by the news, uh, because, uh, like I said, more than not, um, people are fatigued by it. But uh, that's why, I, for us, I've been trying to focus our narrative around the reasons why we're seeing clients engaging with us. You know, and that's become part of our process, or the the why. You know, we always ask, why are you reaching out to us? Um, uh, and that's, like I said, has given us tremendous clarity uh, around those two use cases. And I think like I said, that's very much where the narrative is, is revolving right now. And if you're one of those burnt out CISOs or maybe just burnt out in cybersecurity in general, how do you go about becoming a virtual CISO? <laughs> that's a re really good question. I, I was actually... Uh, I was uh, going to be giving a presentation at InfoSec World in, in, in Florida uh, in late March before uh, you know COVID hit, and my family and I were really looking forward to going to Disney World, but that, oh, no. <laughs> that didn't happen. But th that, that presentation was focusing around how to sort of start your own VC so business, and uh, uh, um, uh, I believe that that has actually become a, a virtual presentation at, at, at some point. But uh, to me, what I'd like to to tell people uh, who are thinking about it is to just take it in a, uh, uh, a phased approach because there are those VCSOs who just want to do it, do that work for, for one client and that's, and that's fine. But before you even like jump into that, just ask yourself, you know, uh, are there certain companies that you like to work for? Uh, are there certain sectors you want to, 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 to do this for? What do you mean by VC? So like, are you just going to handle maybe doing questionnaires? Are you going to just be uh, sort of there on, on retainer? Are you actually going to be mapping out their cybersecurity program and developing it? Um, a lot of people will just jump into something without planning it through. Uh, the thing I, I tell everyone is just plan at the get-go, <laughs> uh, you know, really identify what it is that you truly want to do as a virtual uh, CISO. Uh, and then on top of that, really understand that you need to, uh, if you haven't had the chance to learn those skills, learn things like business development, like relationship uh, uh, management. Through this sort of self-discovery journey as a VCSO, um, some of the things that I've realized more and more is that I really love doing biz business development. I really like giving, uh, uh, you know, speaking at public uh, uh, events. I really like doing podcasts. Uh, you know, I always thought I was a very introverted person, but through the, these past five years, I've sort of gone through this self-discovery of realizing who I actually am and what I actually enjoy doing. So uh, I challenge people to not just get stuck on the security work, but embrace some of those other aspects of growing a business, you know, start developing those skills. Um, that's super, super important. It's not just the security work that will establish you as um, a leader in the space or to be able to succeed as a VC. So you need to really focus more so on those business skills uh, at the get go. I think that's really, really good advice. Um, how long did it take you to learn learn that that that's your your skill? <laughs> I just learned that two months ago. No, no, it, it took me. Uh, it, it, uh, it's been a five year journey for me, and uh, uh, I'd say the uh, it's been the past two and a half years where I've really become in tuned with the more of the business side of things, and it's gotten to the point now where 
with the uh, with my business, I'm focusing more on business development, you know, relationship management, uh, 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 personal branding, you know, doing content generation. That's what I, I focus on. Uh, I don't actually do a lot of the day-to-day -day work now <laughs> with the clients. We, we have people on our team who, who do that. And it's fine. I never thought that was something I enjoyed. So um, I tell people, just be open-minded. I was very closed-minded the first two and a half years. I, I, again, was just trying to take sort of my corporate role and stamp that and do that in other places. That was the wrong approach. Uh, to me, be open-minded and see where you can add value, not just from a security perspective, but as a trusted advisor and how you can build bridges be, uh, and uh, at the end of the day, really just build amazing relationships. It sounds like there's definitely been an evolution there. So how do you keep learning and make sure that you keep evolving? Uh, <laughs> that, uh, um, that has become increasingly more difficult with a, a second child. I'll, I'll definitely admit that. But the uh, but one of the areas which I have found amazing to just keep learning uh, in are on a couple fronts. So one, there's the security piece. The security piece continually uh, evolves. I need to stay uh, up to date with that. So there's no shortage of great security podcasts uh, out there. There's uh, no shortage of great uh, security blogs uh, out there. Um, I try to at least spend um every, the uh, the better part of my every monday morning uh just sort of looking at all the the stuff that's evolved from the security world from the past week uh and just try and absorb as much as i can uh over a three-hour period um first and foremost i still need to be a security thought leader with with our clients so i need to stay uh in tune with that um the on, and on my weekends, uh, when my uh, I try to wake up early before uh, my wife and kids do, and every Saturday and Sunday, that's when I do my business learning, uh, whether that be Harvard Business uh, Review Magazine, whether that be uh, various business books that I've, I've read over the years about consulting or uh, building influence or marketing. Uh, those, uh, what I refer, you know, some people call them soft skills. I think they're foundational skills, you know, how to be a better communicator, how to be a better negotiator. Those are, those are things which, again, have helped me evolve and not just be seen by, from our clients as being a techie or, or a security person. You know, they, they, see, they see us, again, as advisors. And to me, building the business skills has been the most important part of bringing me to where I am now. So one of the things or one of the senses I got from kind of researching you and your profile is that you're really led by your values. So not just the value you can create, but, you know, your own personal values. Do you think that comes through in your work? I, I, I like to think so. You know, uh, one of the things that um, I pride myself on and you know, leveraging platforms like LinkedIn is to not just provide security material, but to let people sort of see who I am, because I truly believe that at the end of the day, people don't do business with other businesses. People do business with other people. Uh, so I believe in the, the power of being uh, truly uh, uh, raw and authentic and vulnerable with people, whether that be on LinkedIn or when I'm meeting with uh, uh, people. Uh, I don't subscribe to the school of thought of being always having to be a slick professional. You know, uh, I believe in the power of being you and being yourself. Um, and so, and with all of our clients and, and people um, that I'm humbled and blessed to have in my network, they, they, they appreciate that, you know, and, and for me, I'm a firm believer that in order to establish trust, and at the end of the day, trust is the currency that I deal with, uh, you have to be you. And that was one of the reasons why I left corporate. I could not be myself. There was corporate me, and then there was real me. I hated corporate me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
uh, no, uh, I, I couldn't be myself. Um, you know, and and now because at the end of the day, the only person I truly end, end up having to report to is is myself. Um, I can just be myself. You know, and if there are clients and people who don't like that, that's okay. You know, there's other people they can work with. But what that allows me to do is to get people who are on my frequency, uh, so to speak, or operate on the same wavelength, that I end up getting much richer, uh, and again, not, not from a monetary perspective, but from a relationship perspective, much richer and much more meaningful relationships and then such much more profound clients that end up being long-term clients and you know, from taking a relational approach to things, um, that, like I said, I end up getting to work with awesome people and awesome clients. And um, I'm humbled that being me has brought me to a spot where I'm truly... Um, uh, at a spot in my career where uh, I've, I'm at a level of happiness that I never thought was was possible. You know, I, I truly love what I do and who I work with. And again, to me, the key in doing that was sticking true to my values and just being myself. Wow, I love that. I think that's an amazing story. So what are you seeing in cybersecurity now? What do you think the upcoming threats are? Oh, well, if you'd asked me that a month and a half ago, I'd probably give you a different answer. But you know, sort of there's, there's the pre-COVID stuff, and now there's, you know, dur during COVID, uh, you know, I'd say the, the, some of those threats have, have morphed or changed. Um, you know, right now, especially as this, the, the, the broader movement of work from home, um, you know, for a lot of, for, for much of the workforce now, um, I'd say has changed some priorities. Uh, to me, some of the areas which, we're telling our clients, I tell people as well, uh, the first bucket is, I think, the importance uh, of uh, what I refer to as the awareness gap. Yes, there's a lot of great security awareness out there. Yes, there's a lot of great platforms out there. But still, uh, by far, most small and mid-sized organizations uh, do a really crappy job <laughs> of security awareness or no job at all. Uh, the working from home bit now is just going to further widening that gap so that piece is so so important so I, I tell organizations if you haven't gone down the security awareness path yet you need to uh, it is so crucial right now because we're just seeing rampant uh, uh, phishing uh, especially ones related to various COVID scams uh, people are mentally tired stressed and uh, distracted at, at home so you know, we're seeing phishing success rates going through the roof uh, so it's super important now. I think the, the, the people part to invest in that right now. Uh, that's super important. Uh, another area is um, just around remote access. Many small and mid-sized organizations uh, had to quickly, <laughs> over literally over a period of days, get some level of remote access set up so all of their workforce could w work from home. That was, generally speaking, was a rush job. Uh, was likely a temporary solution and may not have, and in more cases than not, was likely not securely configured. It was just more focused on functionality, just making sure it was actually working. Uh, as we sort of entered a period of greater stability, I tell organizations, now's the time to sort of reevaluate what you just did, uh, see if you can uh, secure that uh, according to some level of uh, best practice, um, uh, sort of move that from being a temporary solution to being more of a permanent solution. So revisit uh, those, those, don't just rely on go to my PC <laughs> uh, 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 moving forward. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's a super, super important uh, risk gap right now. And the third one is the notion of um, just what I'll refer to as uh, um, device management in which um, is because again, more people are working from home and not every organization is able to give everyone a laptop. There's a lot of people who will be 
uh, interacting with their work environment through a personal laptop or personal device. Um, companies need to get greater visibility around that uh, in terms of, you know, or, or at least having a, a, an initial threshold in, in which the system needs to be updated, it needs to have up-to-date operating system patches, it needs to at least have a, 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 some level of anti-malware uh, uh, updated. Uh, I think it's important to get greater visibility on those non-supported endpoints uh, because those will likely uh, persist uh, for at least the, the, the coming months, if, if not years to come. You know, I think that's a really interesting one because that kind of bring your own device uh, issue feels like we haven't really talked about that for a number of years. But actually, like you just say, with the situation now, maybe those policies aren't up to date. Absolutely. You know, and it's funny that you mentioned that we haven't really talked about it for a few years. It's because the larger companies, the enterprise companies, they, they've solved that problem. You know, they have solutions in place uh, to facilitate that, to make that happen. Um, the small and some of the mid-sized companies, they never got to that point. You know, uh, um, now it's bubbled to the surface um, as being super important. So, um, again, maybe they're not able to afford those enterprise solutions in terms of how to tackle BYOD, but the problem still persists. It's definitely coming to the forefront now, uh, and they definitely need to 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 get a um, to get ahead of that problem because again, these are all known gaps, and these are all gaps that cyber criminals are are really pushing the pedal down to take advantage of because they know that most small mid sized businesses right now uh, are wounded animals. They're overstretched. Uh, they're they're worrying about other things. Security for a lot of these companies is the last thing on their mind. Uh, so you know um, we're always seeing increased attacks. Uh, uh, happening, and uh, you know, like I said, it's 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 um, them smelling blood in the water. So, you know, where possible, these small mid-sized organizations need to get ahead of the curve on those three gaps. And how do you think we can we can do that? How can we educate more people on those risks? Uh, I think it, it still comes down to um, uh, trying to, especially as security practitioners, uh, trying to just keep beating that drum and getting as much. Um, um, non-technical information and education materials out there. And for us, we've, we've doubled down on content generation and trying to get content across to non-technical people uh, about why cybersecurity is important, why they need to do that. You know, and especially in this time and um, uh, sort of a troubling trend is that when we're, we've been talking with various or, uh, small organizations, and you know, inevitably they tell us during this time they're in survival mode. And that's fine. We, we get that, you know, and, and that's certainly understandable. But where the real disconnect is, they, when we talk about cybersecurity, uh, still a very sizable uh, majority, in my opinion, think, uh, have said, well, we can't deal with cybersecurity now. We'll deal with it when things are better. They don't see cybersecurity as being part of survival mode. Uh, and that disconnect, I think, is very, very dangerous. Um, again, at the end of the day, most companies are digital companies, right? We all exist online. We're all dealing with data. Um, we're all dealing uh, with computer uh, with computers and various devices. Unless you're selling tacos out of the back of your Volvo, you know you're you you are a digital company. And there's that disconnect still that that so many businesses uh, business executives, again primarily in the SMB uh, arena, there do not understand. So uh, I like to refer to it as the trickle effect, in which if as, as security practitioners, if we keep getting that message out, uh, and again do so in as relatively non-tech talk <laughs> or uh, uh, as possible. Um, I hope we can we can flip the tide there because it, it, it's still a very prevalent thought, unfortunately, in, in the uh, small and mid-sized business um, uh, uh, arena. 
Yeah, and now even more than ever, I mean, that could be the thing that tips you over the edge, right, if you're, if you're already struggling. Oh, exactly. And, and you know, uh, to me, it, it's, uh, and I've been, we've been telling people this, is that uh, it's, it's somewhat of a paradox. Again, this even goes before predates COVID, in which, uh, you know, I, when, we, when we're engaging with, with, with prospects, I often tell them, you know, who, what type of company has the most to lose when it comes to uh, a data breach? Is it a large company or is it the small company? And uh, most most people that we ask say, well, it's a large company. You know, they have more assets, they have more money, they're the ones who have more to lose. And I say, no, that's actually, that's false. You know, that's, that's a paradox in which the large companies generally have the war chest to survive it. You look at all the big companies over the past 20 years that have had um, a significant data breach, they've all survived. Yeah, they may have had you know, some, uh, some short-term problems, but they all survived. The, 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 and it's not an existential threat for large companies. It is an existential threat for small and mid-sized organizations. Right? For, I, you know, this is somewhat anecdotal, but I, I tell people that for every large company that you see in the news about experiencing a data breach, there's probably three to five smaller businesses that also experience a data breach and no longer exist. Because you know they're not well known enough to be to make the six o'clock news, uh, it's very much an ex- existential threat for small and mid-sized businesses, and that's a sad thing. Is that there's again there's misinformation and they don't truly understand what the risk component is to, to their organization. No, I think that's I think that's really true. Well. We always end the podcast with uh, 10 quick questions. So you'd need to just answer and not think. <laughs> rapid, rapid fire. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here we go. What turns you on professionally? <laughs> uh, uh, for me, just great energizing reads. One of my favorite people um, that I love reading, uh, her, her articles is Kelly Shortridge. Her articles uh, are just fantastic. I, that to me is like security porn. Brilliant. <laughs> what turns you off professionally? Uh, hearing the same tired crap time and time again. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I hate seeing quotes from so-called cybersecurity experts where they talk about various data breaches, and um, uh, you know, often the advice in there is so generic uh, that to me turns that off, turns me off. I hate generic security advice. How do you unwind? <laughs> uh, I usually unwind by after the kids have gone to bed by binging on Netflix uh, with my wife on the couch. And the current show we're we're binging is Good Girls. Nice. What profession other than your own would you like to try? I always uh, I always wanted to be a comedian, uh, and that's that's in my in my LinkedIn profile. Um, that was always my dream as a one of my dreams as, as a child. Um, I love making people laugh, and uh, I like to try and bring some level of comedic flair to, to security. But if I had the opportunity, I'd love to be a, a, a late night TV host and, and have my own talk show. Wow, like that. What activity gives you the most energy? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say chasing my two year old. Everything he does in the backyard, he. Uh, I love the energy that he he embraces life with, and he, he, he even though I'm tired doing it, he, he gives me great energy. Who is your biggest inspiration? Uh, I'm going to say uh, uh, my kids. Uh, bef- before I had kids, I had a very narrow view of the world. Um, both having a, a daughter who's allowed me to see the uh, the world through another lens and having a son has um, inspired me to not just do work for work's sake, but to actually make sure that I have a profound impact um, on everyone that I come across in life. I want to make sure I, uh, people remember me and when people 
you know, run, come into my kid, uh, run into my kids and say, I, I, I knew your dad, your dad was amazing. Um, that's why I want to make sure that my kids are always proud of me, no, ma- no matter what happens to me. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? Awesomeness. You are at your best when you're doing what? <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at my best when I have my red headset on and I'm on a conference call trying to close a deal. If today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you impart? To be kind um, and to be empathetic to everyone. Um, to me, there's not enough kindness uh, uh, in, in the world. There's still so much people who, who prefer to judge others and, and not walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Be kind, be empathetic, and be awesome to everyone you meet. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason she is letting you through the gate? That you profoundly impacted everyone that you ever met in your life. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe. And for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.